All right. We want to welcome everyone to our first edition of this podcast called Minority Report. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So welcome, everyone. Welcome all of our listeners for the first edition. And I'd like to introduce Carell. Carell is a great friend in the space. Carell and I proudly hold leadership roles within our companies and in the industry. And that sort of didn't just happen on its own. And we'll talk some more about that in a second. But first, we wanted to sort of give you an idea of what you might hear when you tune in to this podcast. You're going to hear from others with diverse backgrounds, women, people of color, and so on. But ultimately, our show is about positivity, our guests, and interesting topics. It's okay to talk about these things. We're creating a safe space here because if we don't talk about them, then who will? That's right. Right? So, Carell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Super excited, Eric, to kick off this podcast with you. I'm really excited about the content that we have lined up and looking forward to really getting into some good conversations with some great people that we know throughout the industry. My name is Carell Cooper, currently Senior Vice President of Product Marketing at a company called Live Intent. Been in this space for 18 plus years. Majority of my experience is on the publisher side of our industry, running ad operations and platform strategies. On a personal note, happily married for 14 years, two lovely daughters, and really looking forward to some great conversations. Awesome. A little bit about me. My name is Eric Rickadan. I work for a great company called Intermarkets, and I'm really marketplace facing. So I, I really focus on sort of the buy and sell side of what we do and really focused on publisher sort of perspective. And both Corel and I, with our combined experience, bring a really diverse and unique perspective to the space, which brought us to create really this platform for us and for others to be able to, uh, to sort of get to know each other. So many of you listening may be familiar with our first guest. Her name is Stephanie Laser. She's a frequent contributor to many trade pubs. She's a featured speaker at many industry events and really one of the most respected minds in digital advertising, especially around programmatic today. So let's jump in and get to know our first guest. Hi, Stephanie. How you doing? Hi, thank you for having me. High five for being our first guest. We're we're absolutely delighted to have you on as our first guest, and we couldn't think of anyone more exciting and and really fun and honest to talk about their experiences. And and first, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, currently as a professional. What's going on with you? Yeah, so Stephanie Laser, and I am the Vice President of Advertising Technology at News Corp. There, I help to manage the programmatic strategy and other ad tech operations around the business. Think of me as kind of like an internal consultant to all of our different businesses, Dow Jones, New York Post, some of our mastheads. I have been in the space for eight years. It's the only thing I ever knew (laughs) is programmatic advertising. I started at the New York Post, actually, so a part of News Corp, one of their subsidiaries. And I started selling print, and I also managed the remnant inventory. Mm, yeah, And from there, I started working at the Daily Mail. That was when nobody really knew what the Daily Mail was. 
they were getting most of their traffic from Facebook at that point in time. But we had a ton of traffic in the U.S. So I was able to clean up their ad stack and all that kind of stuff. I opened my own consulting business at one point after I left the Daily mm-hmm. Mail. Did a lot of work with Prohaska Consulting. Matt's amazing. He always took me in when I was like, I don't like my job anymore. Can I just do consulting? And he was like, come here. It's fine. It's okay. You can quit your job and, and come and consult with me. And I was like, perfect. And then I went to a small startup called A Plus, which is Ashton Kutcher's positive journalism publication. It was there where I did a lot of real fun stuff with header bidding where I started to really explore the interesting things you can do on page and through engineering. And then after that, I went back into consulting. I was consulting for News Corp for a little while. Opportunity arose for a full-time position. I was like, you know, it's what I like to do. Everybody's got different challenges. Everybody's got different stuff that they're working with. So I can kind of be a thought leader within the organization and help people to make their advertising technology strategy stronger. Mm, Absolutely. No, that's great. Uh, I mean, a tremendous background. And as I said, I mean, I think so many people look to you to help guide them in in what's sort of a complicated sort of space. I think you do a great job of always deconstructing it and make it very easy to understand. I spend a lot of time explaining it to my mother. My mother is like, I don't understand what you do. And I explain (laughs) it to her over and over and over again. She's getting it. My wife doesn't understand what I do. (laughs) At home, we're tech support. (laughs) Can you get my computer to work? I'm like, that's not what I do. You're like, you're the one clicking on everything. Yeah. Or or the, oh, so you're the one running those pop-up ads, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> the ads that follow me around. Yeah. That's how I'm like, mom, please stop telling people I do that. You That's mentioned your mom. I love to get to know people and their families and how they were raised and where they grew up. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure, sure. I was born in Baltimore, right outside of Baltimore. And I have two older brothers. And then we moved to Pennsylvania when I was about 10. My older brother's one significantly older than me. He's nine years older and the other one's six years older than me. We moved to Pennsylvania and I grew up in Downingtown, Pennsylvania after that. My parents are originally from central Pennsylvania. My dad is what they call Pennsylvania Dutch. Pennsylvania Dutch is basically Amish. His family... You see your eyebrows right now. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's family, there's like this long line of German farmers in the center of Pennsylvania. And he's like, he's brethren, which is like two steps away from Amish. It's like Amish Mennonite nice. brethren, right? Mm, nice. And so it's Pennsylvania Dutch, but really technically they're German and Americans are just stupid. So when they came over, it was like, oh, they're Dutch. They must be Dutch. Okay, Pennsylvania Dutch. <laughs> so, so, so you're answering my next question. He's how you got into digital. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Right. That's exactly right. 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 That's exactly how I got into digital. Yeah. Um, so I lived in Pennsylvania, went to Penn State University, moved to New York after Penn State. Yeah, that's kind of my background. Yeah, so you moved here. How did you move into the digital space? You told us a little bit about some okay. of the properties. And mm-hmm. I always yeah. find that, you know, when we talk with a lot of our friends and sort of compadres and in the space, you know, there's always an interesting moment. Right. A lot of it is sometimes you were handed something someone couldn't figure out. Yeah, that was uh, me. Because <laughs> none, none of us went to school for this, right? Yeah. So, Precisely, right? Yeah. yeah. So tell us how you, that moment you sort of 
got into digital, and certainly you're very advanced now, but there was that entry point moment, right? Totally, what was that like? Totally, totally. So I was selling a print advertising. So I was selling um, to health and beauty advertisers across New York City, like walking into dentist offices and selling ads to them. Okay. So that was when they had me doing that, but then they also had me managing the remnant inventory. And that was when AdMeld was a thing, mm. right? So we had AdMeld, and that's how you could manage your remnant stack, as it were. And I started to just like mess around with AdMeld. So no one was really paying attention to me because number one, most of the revenue came from print advertising still. Number two, I would say about 40% of the digital revenue was remnant. Nobody understood it or cared about it. So I just kind of started playing with it. And so I would change frequency caps and I would talk to the different networks and I'd tell them to give me more money or I change like I would just like basically make adjustments and like negotiate with ad tech companies. I went for the CPM, like the average CPM went from like 75 cents to a dollar fifty over the course. So ding, ding, we were, ding, ding, yeah, yeah, like right. I was like I was making all this money and I was like super proud of myself. But I try to explain it to somebody, like at, even at work, and I'd try to explain it. And I'd be like, Isn't this exciting? And they're like, Oh, I don't understand. And I was like, Listen, it's not closing a big deal. I'm not able to just like bring in a million dollars right now, but I make these little tiny changes and I build. And that's what I do. I'm building things. And that's kind of my whole mantra of getting a really good programmatic ad stack going. You got to build the thing. Right. You make little tiny adjustments over and over again. You can't just flip a bunch of stuff on. And that was the biggest learning of when I first stepped into digital, I first stepped into programmatic, was that like you got to take it step by step. And that was how I, when I was a consultant and, and moving through the industry and all that kind of stuff and things had progressed and things had changed, that was what I just kept really reiterating to people all the time is like there's no quick fix you gotta test it those steps are really trying and testing right i mean it's it's, uh, you develop a mentality of always being open to testing whatever it may be right and you won't know until you give it that right and so through all your learnings from testing and being a consultant and having full-time jobs like talk a little bit about what are you most proud of of your time in the space like what are some accomplishments yeah I thought it was pretty badass having a consulting company when I was like in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought it was pretty cool that people knew me. They knew that they could call me to come fix stuff and they would tell their friends like, we were having trouble with programmatic. Oh, you should talk to Steph Laser. Like that's how I ended up at News Corp. You should talk to Steph Laser. And I, I'm professionally pretty proud of that. In fact, going back to the family thing, my oldest brother always laughs because he's nine years older than me. And he's like, all these people know you. And he, like, he's, he's, he works in digital as well, but he's on the content side. He's like, people just know you. Like whenever I mention your name and advertising, they're like, oh yeah, she like knows programmatic. He's always like, yeah, she's my little sister. I changed her diaper. Like, come on. So, um, so I was pretty proud of that. Um, part of other things that I've been really proud of is I've worked on making really good relationships in the space, I feel like. And I think that... Many people respect me not only for being smart, but being fair. And I think, you know, not taking relationships with vendors as like you do things for me, like right, making right. them real partnerships. I'm proud of that. And I like that. As a vendor, I like hearing that. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just just like be a human and be right. like a nice human. Like everybody's trying to do their job. Does that mean I'm not a bitch sometimes? Like, no, I'm totally a bitch, especially my Google reps can attest to this. But yeah, I'm, I would say that I'm oftentimes fair. Well, um, you have expectations, right? You yeah. still have a, a job to do. You still have things you want to accomplish and numbers to hit. So, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. 
And also, I think my time at A Plus and working with my engineering department, being at a startup and working someplace with my engineering department very close. Um, shout out to Nick Jacob. He was my engineer guy when I was at A Plus, and having good relationships in the space allowed us to make a lot of adapters for prebid.js. He could write the adapters, and I could convince people. It was before any of the big SSPs would allow prebid.js adapters to be written. And, it's great work. And, great and work. yeah, he knew how to do it, and I knew how to convince them to let us do it. And so that was the first moment in my career that I realized how important it was that we started looking at our pages and we started looking at publishers more holistically. Like, we can't just look at them as like, this is the ads and this is the way the page functions. We have to look at it as one because we would give and take to each other. Like he would rewrite the sidebar to make it significantly faster. And then I could add an extra adapter with the code that he had taken up to speech it along, Mm -hmm. right? If you start looking at things more in that realm and we don't always look at, you know, engineers tend to think like ads are evil. If we don't always look at it like that and we all start to understand us, it really breaks down the bonds. And I'm transferring that knowledge that you get in a startup into a bigger company like News Corp. And that's been really awesome and fun and rewarding. Awesome. What excites you most about the future of our space? Ooh, man, (laughs) the future of the space. You know, I think that the tides are turning for publishing and the whole fake news debate questioning where your ads are going and if it's in a nice environment and that you want your brand to be associated with, that's really coming to a head. And I think publishers are at this point where we can really strike while the iron is hot. And it's not, I just need clicks, right? We don't just need clicks anymore. The industry doesn't need just clicks anymore. We need to be able to tie an advertising brand with a publishing brand and make it work. Absolutely. And to be able to tell a story. Be able to tell a story, yeah. (laughs) It's not just all about the clicks, and I think we're getting there. Right. So speaking of telling stories, um, what do you read? What do you listen to to stay up to date on what's going on in the space? Yeah. So obviously the regulars, right? Yeah. Ad Exchanger, Digiday, like, you know, what we all read. I've been really into Axios lately. Yeah. Oh, their media tremendous. newsletter yeah. is killer. Sarah does a tremendous job right? with it. Yeah. So yeah. good. <laughs> Shouts to Sarah. Yeah. He's <laughs> doing a, a tremendous job and, um, and the rest of the team there. They kind of came out of nowhere and everything I read from them is magical. Killing it. Killing it. It happens yeah. when you don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, because aren't they based in D.C.? Yeah, yeah, so and they have uh-huh. offices here. Yeah, uh-huh. no, uh-huh. We're, we're friendly with a lot of the crew there, and they do a tremendous job. I think the world of her, and yeah. um, I mean, she really has a, a tremendous understanding of like what's happening and the pulse and a broad sort of totally. vision, but then mm-hmm. can really distill it into very easy to understand sort of pieces. And I think that's true of a lot of the editorial crew there. And in fact, we were just with some operations folks from there uh, night before last. So yeah, the tremendous crew there, and uh, really changing I think a lot of media today too and how yeah. people want to consume that sort of content mm-hmm. but but uh, you know she does a tremendous job with her team there so yeah so I'm, yeah. I'm definitely really into that but yeah just trying to stay up to date I mean once you get a good network of friends mm-hmm. in the industry and stuff you just start sending shit to each other all the time yeah. or a really succinct Twitter feed yeah the Twitter feed <laughs> is very important like my Twitter is pretty much business Twitter I don't do uh a lot of Penn State football stuff. <laughs> Penn, a lot of Penn State football. It's stuff. different type of it's business. Like, yeah, so. it's like my business. It's just my business stuff. 
Penn State shit. A lot of Penn State shit. Bit of feminism stuff going on. Those are my things. We love it. We love it. Lady stuff, Penn State football. Yeah, no, I mean, mean, that's, I think, the passion and the energy that everyone loves so much about you. That inspiration. So you have your trade pubs. You read all that to sort of stay smart. Talk to us about what you were just mentioning there. So you have a, a great network of people that you rely on, you know, sort of give it to you straight or sort of share just idea. Do you draw inspiration from that and from others? Yeah, dude. There is nothing more important in this industry than having friends and contacts and people you want to sit down with a beer, you know, and have a beer with and you can kind of does this make sense? What if I tried this? Do you think we could do this? Did you learn anything from this? Have you tested this? Like that is constant, Mm -hmm. right? And I have my iMessage groups on my cell phone Mm -hmm. where people are going back and forth about stuff. I have Facebook groups. I have, there's tons of different ways that I interact with my friends and it also keeps the industry honest, right? Because if people in programmatic and people in a different publishers all know each other, for example, there's an agency that regularly goes to the New York Times and tells them something and tells them Wall Street Journal has done it. And then I go to Wall Street Journal and Wall Street Journal has not done it. Right. Because, you know, I work with Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're owned by News, News Corp. Yeah. So we'll find out that literally the agency is lying to the other large mass head publication just in order to get the other one to fall. And so it's so important to keep everybody honest in the industry that publishers know each other and publishers know that they can reach out and be like, what do you think about this? Because right now, publishers are not. I mean, we do compete against each other, but at the same time, we're really competing against big tech companies. Right. Yeah, it's very like different, so, right, from yeah. the space previously where you had giant household name media companies competing with each other. It's, yeah. it's different. Now you can actually sort of be helpful to each other totally. and still yeah. drive towards the same sort of business objectives. I, I always thought it's sort of We want a bigger piece of the pie to us, right. like right. to us as an entity. Right. right? I, I think it's so. interesting to – since so many publishers are, are really unique, right? I mean, like a lot of the solutions that people want to roll out is sort of this blanket opportunity. But what a lot of people realize is that every single publisher is unique. So mm-hmm. it's important to maintain that communication, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting, you know, when we're talking about sort of in, improving the industry and, and how to sort of continue to do that. One area I think about is inclusiveness and how we're changing as an industry because the industry, I think, has the best of all intentions, but the outcomes are sometimes a little bit lacking. And what I mean yeah. by that is sort of women in the C-suite, all the things that we've talked about in the past. But when you start to think about how the industry can improve there and be a little bit more inclusive, what are your thoughts on how that can change? Yeah. So I think that everybody in the industry as a whole needs to kind of acknowledge where they sit in terms of color and gender and how inclusive we are, right? And be cognizant of that because the biggest thing for inclusiveness is the people that tend to be in the majority can really raise up the people who are Mm -hmm. are like in the minority. So, for example, my boss is great at this. He consistently takes what I have to say seriously, pulls me into meetings, will say, Steph came up with this idea, like always ties it to to Mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. Um, If he can't make something, he'll invite me to take it in his place. He's always constantly raising me up. And you can tell he's also conscious of when people don't listen to me because I'm a female. Mm -hmm. And having somebody in your organization that's consistently doing that for you and making you visible and making sure that you don't fall behind, it has been very, very strong for me. And I've found that in our industry in particular, there are 
just like so many people who are very good at that. Mm-hmm. Right. There are total assholes, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Total assholes. I've dealt with terrible, terrible. In fact, I've dealt with terrible female bosses mm-hmm. that think they are the female, right? So there is only so much room at the top. And if they raise you up, then they make less space for themselves. And I've found it's just a matter of what you can do around you. And so I also try to be cognizant you know, when people are coming up through the ranks and things like that, am I giving everybody a fair shot? Am I passing judgment on somebody because of some inner prejudice that I have? And work through that in my own head. Because unless you're cognizant that right. those things exist, like if we all just sit here and go, I'm perfectly fine. I'm not sexist. I'm not racist. I'm not any of these things. I'm not homophobic. I'm not transphobic. Yeah. If we all just sit here and go, oh, I'm none of those things. Then we're all liars. Then you're all liars because yeah. yeah. we all are, right? That's really refreshing. I mean, your honesty is is exactly you yeah. know what we're all having to have to sort of admit to ourselves or even open it up, and then from there you move on, yeah. right? And right. from there the changes happen. Be so. self-aware. If yeah. you're exactly. self-aware, you're aware that where you sit in kind of the pecking order of if people are listening to you, if they're giving you the promotion, if they're you know all that kind of stuff. If you understand where you sit there then you can start to change that from within the industry. Great point. Great insights. You are busy. You're busy all oh, the I'm time. I'm so busy. <laughs> How do you balance out the work-life thing? And maybe it doesn't exist, <laughs> right? Here's another area where some people are able to do that, right? You know, have this tremendous home life and then also be able to blend in, Not you know, the work. Well, there it is. All right, so <laughs> uh, there, tell us can, a little bit about that. You can ask my boyfriend. There you go. All right. <laughs> He'll be on later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be like, she's emailing when I want yeah. her to watch yeah. a movie with me. Yeah. yeah. He'll be on with our wives. <laughs> <laughs> <He'll be laughs> thing. Complaining about yeah. The, the last time they had to hear about ads. <laughs> yeah, like, ridiculous. Yes, yeah, so work-life balance. First of all, I have to make time for exercise. Like, I've got to do it. Otherwise, I'm a crazy person. I'm just, like, wound up. And there is nothing that's better for relieving that than, like, a good hot yoga class, than taking a little bit of a run, although I hate running, so I'd rather take a different <laughs> type, like a class or something like that. And trying to really prioritize that Also prioritizing like the food that you put in your body because I feel like garbage and I can't really concentrate at work when I'm like just shoving my face with pizza and pasta and burgers and everything that I love so much, the things I love. And it's so easy to do that. Right. And it's so easy. It's also super easy to let the evening shit get completely out of hand when you're in this industry. So like there is a different event for a different company for something every single night of the week if i wanted to i could go out monday tuesday wednesday thursday Mm, with work shit you can't do it guys you can't do it you're gonna run yourself into the ground you're not gonna perform at work you have to be selective about what you do more great advice yeah i mean it's it's just like at the very beginning you can do that shit i did that shit when i was like 24 and 25 when i was just getting in the industry i want people to know i am like that's very important for you to make a name for yourself and is to go to events and network and meet people and all that kind of stuff like that but also don't wear yourself out Mm. because it's very it's very possible no one to go home it's very possible (laughs) for you to wear yourself out the hangovers are much longer to recover from as you get older older. you get (laughs) yeah it was fine when i was 24 i could wake up and then just kill it the next day but right now it's not happening the recovery is almost like a superpower yeah (laughs) there's some people in this industry that are just like that are just like they can go out be 
wasted and then the next day you're like you look great (laughs) i'm not that person not it that's uh definitely some great advice what other great advice do you have for anyone that's trying to enter our industry Oh my gosh, so many people in our industry like to just nod their head. Yeah, I understand. Mm. I totally understand. Yeah, exactly. I understand. Do not be afraid to look stupid. You can look stupid today. You ask the question, you might look stupid, but you will know the answer. So next time, you won't look stupid. Ask all the questions. Never, never be afraid of letting somebody know that you might not be super knowledgeable about something. It's fine. We all know different things. And unless we can share and unless we can ask questions, then, you know, it's silly. You, you, um, may, you may actually help someone else out who's afraid right. to raise yeah. their hand. Right. Right. And they had the same question. Yeah. And by you doing that, you helped six other people in the room. You right? helped the industry by asking the question. Maybe they were too embarrassed. Always ask the question. Ask yeah, the question. Right. Be supportive of one another. Be nice to each other. When you go to events, know your limits. Know, know your <laughs> limits. Know how much you can drink. Know how little you can drink. Eat we're, the orders. We're close. We're very close. We talk about a lot of things. Everybody's very open. Know what you can and can't do. There yeah. are some things. It's still work. There are some things right. you can and can't. Because you get a reputation. That shit sticks. And guess what? We're telling everybody. <laughs> we're whispering about it. Hey, did you hear what this person did? Did you hear what this person did? <laughs> At Digiday, Digiday DPS, oh my God, did you hear what this person did? And it never goes away. Oh, it never it'll, goes it'll be away. years oh, later and you'll be like, you remember that conference when so-and-so did? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes. You will be branded the dumb thing that you did when you drank 15 beers at the conference and did a bunch of tequila shots. Listen. <laughs> this is real. This is this real. This is real talk. This is real talk. This is real talk. Know your limits. Know how to drink. Listen. There's a lot of people listening that probably have seen me be really, really drunk at a conference, right? I didn't know my limits, but I'm getting there. <laughs> That's growing. It's gr- That's growth. I'm getting there. That's, That's growth. growth. <laughs> Everybody else here is drinking beers, and I'm drinking yeah. a water because at St. Pa- St. Patrick's Day, I was in That's, Dublin. That's growth. And no more beer for me for that's at good. least a week. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Well, on, well, on that note. Yeah. So um, one more uh, fun personal question. So on your phone. Outside of email and your calendar, what are your top three apps that you use? My top three? I have so many more than three. Mm, You got to pick three. Okay, fine. (laughs) I have Instagram. Okay. Always in my Instagram app. Um, I have my Equinox app that has my workout regimen in it. And I would say probably maybe personal capital. That's my finances. Mm. So I try to like stay on top of that kind of stuff too. So always playing in my personal cap. There it uh, is. I know you wanted to go to four and five, but three is the number. But like also <laughs> Lyft. <laughs> also, also Lyft. Go I ahead. Also Lyft. All right, all right, all right. I stopped using Uber after they oh. treated all of their female engineers like crap. These are big decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Lyft guys always Lyft. Yep. Yes. All right. This is a commercial for Lyft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Underwritten by. <laughs> well, Stephanie, thank you so much for helping us to kick this off. On Twitter, you can find me at R-E-Q-U-I-D-A-N, at Rickadan, or uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Yep, and you can also find me on Twitter at Carell Cooper, K-E-R-E-L-C-O-O-P-E-R. Steph Laser, oh, can everyone find I, you? I'm Stephanie Laser. You can find me on LinkedIn, but I'll probably never answer you because I'm never on LinkedIn. <laughs> but Twitter, I'm Slazer8, S-L-A-Y-S-E-R, number eight. I'm also on Instagram. Feel free to stalk me. 
There it is. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you so much again. And thanks for uh, tuning in. And we'll see you with our next guest very soon.